morning, good morning. If there's one thing I think that God might be saying to us through hopefully this message in the next few moments, through our worship and through the baptisms that we've seen today is that this is Jesus changes lives. Jesus, Jesus transforms lives. And we're going to be picking up our Galatians series and we're skipping to the end of Galatians chapter 3. And Paul the Apostle writes these really famous words. He says this, Galatians 3, 27 to 28. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Some of you may know that I am a Leeds United fan. Here we go. This, this isn't mine, by the way. Shrunk in the wash. Um, I'm a Leeds fan. And, you know, just to bring you up to speed for the non-football fans amongst us, Leeds United have, for the last few years, played in the top division of English football in the Premier League. But this season, we didn't do so well. And we got relegated. Um, my daughter gave, this is her shirt, she gave me a lot of sympathy because she came downstairs and said, Dad, I can't wear this anymore. And I said, I said, why? She said, because it's got a Premier League badge on it. <laughs> I was like, thanks for the uh, condolences. You know, but one thing that I know about Leeds fans is whether in the top division, in the second division, in the third division, Leeds fans love their club. In fact, many um, friends of mine talk about the stadium as going to church. They talk about it like a faith, like a, a religion, a belief that everything falls into and under their love for the mighty leads. And you know, that I, I kind of get caught up in this sometimes, because if I'm going along and I see a Leeds fan, something in me jumps with joy. Um, and I might say, exclaim something like, Leeds, Leeds, Leeds. Or, or I might start singing our anthem, which goes, Marching on together, we're going to see you win. Na, 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 na. Because I love Leeds, and they love Leeds. In the other um, year, I was out on a run, and I was about halfway through a fairly long run, and I see this dad and a son, he's a little boy on a bike, and both of them have got lead shirts on. And I stop in the middle of my run and talk to some complete strangers. Why? Because they're clothed in leads. <laughs> and I didn't think we might have differences. I didn't ask them pre-qualifying questions about, when did Leeds United last win the FA Cup? Just to test their legitimacy as a Leeds fan. No, because they were clothed in leads, I felt we were together. We were the same. And what Paul, I believe, is saying in these verses is that when you come to Jesus Christ, you are baptized, when you're baptized into Christ, you, you clothe yourself, not in leads, but you clothe yourself in Christ. And then Paul goes on to say some of the things that might divide us. He talks about male and female. There's differences he talks about slave and free. There's differences. And as we've seen in this series already, he talks about Jew and Gentile. There's differences, real, real differences. But he says, when you're baptized into Christ, you're clothed in him. And what he's saying is all those things, those different priorities for people, this, 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 come under the lordship of Christ, become less important in comparison to knowing and believing 
and loving and living for Christ. What Paul is saying is, yes, we've got differences, but in terms of salvation, it's faith in God's grace for everyone. The offer is there for everyone, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're a male or a female, whether you're slave, free, whether you're a Leeds fan or even a Man United fan. <laughs> the point is that there's not... The point is that there's no differences and we are all equal in all of those things. The point is under Jesus, we are one. This is a recurring theme of this series. I'll just very neatly put this on the floor. Um, This is a recurring theme. Paul was preaching, Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the hope of the world. Not Jesus plus. That's been our our theme throughout this, this book. Jesus is all you need for salvation. But what struck me this morning as we just heard some of these stories and we even sung that last song is that all of us have a before story. All of us have something that we've come from. All of us have a before story. You know, uh, maybe you follow on social media some of these before and after accounts, home renovations, fitness journeys, and you see the before story and you see the after story. All of us, when it comes to salvation and faith in Jesus, have a before story. And for... Many of the people who Paul was just speaking to here, we, we talked about the other week how he was speaking around Peter and the Jews and the Gentiles, and particularly for the Jewish followers, their before story was one that was rooted in the faith of the nation of Israel. It was rooted in law and regulation. It was rooted in all of that. And can you just imagine for a moment, if you have lived your whole life trying to please God by doing what you felt God had asked you to do, by obeying the law, by keeping the commandments. And then suddenly this guy comes along and says, well, all you need is Jesus. Just have faith in him. By his grace, he died on the cross for you. All you need is Jesus. You don't need to do any of that anymore. Imagine how you'd feel about that. Because this is all you've known. This is your before story. This is everything that you have known. In fact, you'd probably start saying, wait a minute, but God gave us those commands. Exodus 20, Moses went up a mountain. God gave the commands to the people of Israel. God gave us that. And now you're saying that God is saying something else. Is is God changing his mind? I don't know if you've ever lived a certain way for a long time. And then someone's come and said, or done something for a long time. And then someone's come and said, you don't need to do it like that anymore. That's quite hard to process. Questions inevitably arise. We've always done it like that. I know where I'm at with that. This is what my parents and my grandparents and my descendants have done. This is all I know. And I suppose what they were asking, what many of our guys who are being baptized today have asked is, excuse the pun, why should I take the plunge? Why should I take the plunge for Jesus? Why should I come from this to this? What's different about this man, Jesus, compared to everything I've known and done before? So Paul zooms out and he unpacks not just the detail, but he unpacks the big story of God's salvation. And if you've got your Bible, you might want to flick back a few verses to Galatians 3, um, 16, because God's Plan of salvation, according to Paul, 
started long before Jesus ever came with a promise. And Paul says in Galatians 3.16, God gave the promise to Abraham and his child. And notice, as the scripture doesn't say, to his children, as if it meant descendants, rather to his child. And that, of course, Paul says, means Christ. So what Paul is saying in this verse is that before ever God ever gave you the law, he gave you a promise that a singular descendant of Abraham would bless every nation in the earth. God's whole plan from Abraham's day was to send one person to bless all nations. And Paul is saying that was the promise God made. And the fulfillment of that promise is Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that the promise preceded the law. So you've lived by the law, that's all you've known, but there was a promise before that. In fact, he says 430 years before God gave the law to Moses, he made a promise to Abraham. Promise, fulfillment, but this gap in between. The question they were then obviously naturally asking is, well, what was the point of that? If you're saying all I need is Jesus, what was the point of the law? And then Paul starts to unpack this. In fact, he preempts that question in Galatians 3.19. He says, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sin. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. So Paul says, the law, the law of Moses was to do a few things. One, to point out sin. How? Because law defines what is right and what is wrong. My son and I um, often sometimes watch a few TV programs, and one of our favorite is police interceptors. Okay? Like a bit of police interceptors. And this TV program follows the police force as they do their job, as they enforce the law. And maybe it's a drug raid, or it's an antisocial behavior, or something like that, and it follows how they do their job. One thing I noticed from watching this program is the law is quite clear cut. You've either kept the law or you've broken the law. Let me ask you to be honest people of God. Who has ever um, sped whilst they've been driving? Okay. And I'm uh, sorry, I'm not, just to clarify, I'm not asking, have you been caught? <laughs> I'm asking, have you exceeded the speed limit? Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, the law is the line. And you've either kept the law or you've broken the law, whether you've been caught or not. Whether you've done it intentionally or unintentionally, the law is like a line. It says what's right, it says what's wrong, it says what's good, it says what's bad. So it points out when we've messed up. It points out when we've broken it. It exposes our human frailty, leading us to a, a, a recognition that alone the law cannot save. The law can point out what's right and wrong, but the law, by keeping the law, cannot save you from that. The law can tell me what I should do, but it can't change me. Why? Because adherence to a set of rules and regulations um, doesn't address the deeper spiritual question that is in all of us as humans. It might outline commandments and rituals. It might talk about, um, for the people of Israel, certain moral rules or ceremonial practices or dietary practices. But it focuses on the external actions of our lives and our behaviors. And it cannot directly address the internal state of our heart. So the law gives me a framework, 
but it can't change my nature. And the Bible says the reality of us is that all have sinned. All have broken God's law. All of us have not met that standard and we've fallen short of the glory of God. In 1 John 8, the Bible says, um, if we say we're without sin, then we deceive ourselves. So the law tells me that I am a sinner. I've messed up. I've sped. And I'm a sinner, but I need a savior. And Paul goes on to say, okay, but what does that really mean? Like why, still that doesn't answer the question, why was the law given? Yes, it points out sin, but why? And he gives two pictures, a prison and a guardian. And he talks about this, Galatians 3, 22. He says, the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is Jesus Carrying on, verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody to the law, locked up until the faith that to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that the faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. Two pictures, a prison and a guardian. You know, I was thinking about a prison, and what does a prison do? It highlights wrongdoing, doesn't it? It highlights the sin. It points out the sin, but it does something else. It, it points out freedom as well. Because if you're incarcerated, you, you're thinking about your incarceration, but you're longing for your freedom. So the law doesn't just point out sin. It also highlights the need for freedom. Secondly, Paul likens the law to a guardian. And I like this picture because the Greek word here is pedagogue. Um, and a pedagogue was someone in a, a family home, so like a, a servant of a, a household. And their role within the home was to look after a child from like the age of seven through to their late adolescence. And it wasn't just like babysitting or caring. It was more than that. The role of the pedagogue was to be the guardian of that child, to guard them, to protect them, so they wouldn't be led astray as they go through adolescence. So they'd go into a life of thriving and flourishing. Their role was to protect the child, to care, yes, for the child, to guide the child, to guard the child, to stand up for the child, and also to discipline the child. So that when that child came to maturity, they might walk in wisdom. And I really like that part picture of the law because the law was there to guard us, to protect us, to care for us, to the point that when Jesus came, we'd walk with him. We'd walk with the Savior, who is the fulfillment of the promise. John Stott said it like this, not until the law has bruised and smitten us will we admit the need of the gospel to bind up our wounds. Not until the law has arrested and imprisoned us will we pine for Christ to set us free? Not until the law has condemned and killed us will we call upon Jesus for justification and life. And not until the law has driven us to despair will we ever believe in Jesus. And this is the heart of the faith we've heard about today, a faith that is not about rules and regulations and do's and don'ts, but is about grace, is about relationship 
with the living God. And he changes lives. Jesus is a fulfillment of the promise. And what happens, according to Paul in Galatians 3, I'm going to read this again. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. In other words, where the law could not change us, through faith in Jesus, we are changed. Not just in our actions, but in our identity. We become children of the Most High. Children of God. You are a child of God. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave, free, male or female. Jesus doesn't just change what I do. Jesus changes who I am. And then who I am starts to outwork in the what I do. Because everything comes under the lordship of Christ. All my priorities, all my dreams, everything. So it's, Jesus starts to, to drip and drop through everything I think, do and say. Jesus changes who I am and that changes what I do. We've seen this today. To be baptized, the word baptism means to be immersed. Totally immersed. Don't be immersed in the law anymore. Be immersed in Christ. Don't be immersed in your before anymore. Be immersed in Christ. Don't focus on rule. Be immersed in Christ. Don't focus on trying to gain God's approval by what you do. Be immersed in Christ. Don't focus on where you mess up. Be immersed in Christ. We're clothed in Christ. We're made right before God because of what he has done, not what we have done. Jesus changes lives. The law cannot, did not, and will not. It protected, but it cannot transform. Transformation means we go from fire, far to near. We go from stranger to son. We go from distant to close. We go from death to life. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And Jesus died on the cross to me. And I am changed, not just in a moment, but forever. I'm transformed. One commentator reflected on that verse we've talked about um, where it says Jew, Greek, male, female, slave, free. And says the Greek word there could be used to say there's room for or there's a place for. So in other words, there's a place for, there's room for Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female. And what I felt God say is there's room for you. In his kingdom, there's a place for you. And everyone being baptized today has come to that point where they go, this is my before. Maybe it was keeping the law. Maybe it was living a certain way. Maybe it was going away from God. This is my before. I stand and believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise. He died for me. And so I die to the before and I rise to the after. That is the gift of Jesus. His grace is more, I think, than we will ever know. Completely and utterly radical. I deserve the punishment for my sin. But Jesus Christ took that punishment that I deserve. Therefore, I, we, are free. Some of you here might think, 
or might be believing or might drifted into a place where you're wondering if God's grace is sufficient for you. Whether his love is enough for you based on what you've done or who you believe you are. And perhaps you're here today and you've seen and heard about how Jesus changes lives. And you're aware that what you're doing at the moment isn't working. Like the Jews and their law, maybe you're trying really hard to please God. You're trying your best. It's all you've known. But you still feel like there's something missing. Just to come to a close, this week a few of us went to see the film in the cinema, The Jesus Revolution. I'm not, I'm not a fan of Christian films, but this was really good. And it follows the story of Greg Laurie in his search for all the right things in all the wrong places. And it starts with his before story. And the hippie movement is moving through the USA and he's lo- longing for love, for peace and harmony. So he's, he goes after that. And in a search for enlightenment, he starts getting on drugs. And he comes to a point where he goes, this is not working. At the same time, there's some hippies who have found Jesus. And this Jesus-loving hippie group starts growing. And someone commentates at the time that this is quite amazing because God is saving hippies and it's blowing everybody's mind because no one thought hippies could be saved. They were promoting love, peace, harmony, things that many young people were resonating with. And then there's this scene in the film where you can see this guy wrestling with these questions. I've tried this. I want love. I want peace. I want acceptance. I've tried everything. I've done the drugs. And everything has promised truth. Everything has promised peace. But none of it is delivered. And so he's then considering whether to give his life to Jesus. And he's going, well, what if Jesus lets me down? What if Jesus isn't enough? What if Jesus is just another fad in this search for truth? And there's a scene in the film where hundreds of young people are getting baptized in Pirate's Cove in California. And Greg starts to walk into the ocean. The character who's baptizing him asks, are you ready? And he goes... I'm not sure. Have you decided? He says, I don't know. What if, what if Jesus isn't enough? Do you want to decide right now? And he says, yes, yes, I do. Then pray with me. And they pray, God, I'm a sinner. And I recognize that you're a savior. I repent of all my sins and my past and my before. And I accept you as my Lord and Savior, God and friend. And Greg is baptized in the sea in the name of Jesus, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this beautiful scene follows where it just pauses. And he's not being drowned, but everything just stops. And it kind of goes dark a bit. And he's under the water with his hands clenched. It's just a moment. That signifies him dying to his old ways, dying to everything that was before. And as the scene changes, his hands start to unclench. And you can see the light coming through the water. And he starts to unclench his hands and reach towards the light. And he comes up from his baptism. And the guy says to him, How do you feel? And he answers with one word 
He goes from the drugs and a personal sense of everyone in my life has let me down. He declares a faith in Jesus Christ and it's a risk for him. It's a step for him. What if Jesus lets me down? But he says, yes, I'm going to believe in him and he's baptized in his name. He believes in his heart and declares in his life that Jesus is Lord. Do you know what? It was worth the risk for Greg Laurie because he went on to plant churches, to lead crusades, to lead many hundreds and thousands of people to faith in Jesus Christ because one day he took a step and he said, this was my before. I need something. This isn't working. God, would you come into my life? And God transformed him, not just for a moment, but for a lifetime. Do you know that can be your story? Because Jesus changes lives. You can make a decision today. You've been searching for all the right things in all of the wrong places. Today could be your day of saying, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, fill me. And I believe that your after will be different to your before in Jesus' name. Shall we pray? If you'd like to make a decision for Jesus today, why don't we all stand together? Would you pray this prayer along with me? Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me. I confess my before. Everything I've tried, everything I've done. And I ask that you would forgive me. I repent of my sin and turn to you. Jesus, would you be my Lord, Savior, God, and friend. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've prayed that for the first time or Maybe you've prayed that before and you've recommitted that, your life to Jesus in this moment today. I really want to ask you to come forward at the end to our prayer team on my left and my right. who will pray with you, celebrate with you and help you in your next step. So your after is a transformation of your before.